0: I draw your attention now to the passage where the sermon is based, in Psalm 46, and as you open your Bible, let me give you the title of the message, which is, God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Elamoth, song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters war and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Silla. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdom totter. He alters. His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let us pray once again. Father, if there is anyone here with fainting hearts, please be with them. Comfort them. Give them consolation from your word and from your gospel. Make sure that they are certain that you are with them no matter what. And for those who do not have fainting heart right now, maybe, maybe they be prepared for the future of sorrow and grief. So that they may be Secured on the rock who is Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you are experiencing a fainting heart with grief and sorrow, how do you deal with it? I believe our culture has produced secular ideas to deal with suffering. But in the way that is so devastating. If you are really in deep, deep affliction. For example, read, listen, as I read Richard Dawkins in one of his books. He's one of the major atheists of our time. The one who doesn't believe in God. And see how he deals with suffering. He says this The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky and you will not find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. How can you be overwhelmed with grief having this kind of mindset? How can you survive? How can you live it out? Having the concept that what you are experiencing is just pitiless indifference. No, this, this morning... Psalm 46 will teach us differently, will teach us how to deal with suffering with God, with God. The structure of the psalm is very well organized, okay? Verses 1, verse 7, and verse 11, they are all the same thing, they have the same concept. In fact, verses 7 and 11, they have the same words. All of them saying that God is with us. And you have a uniform strophes. Verses 1 through 3, it's one part. And then verses 4 through 7, another part. And then verses 8 through 11, another section of the psalm. And the first thing that we will learn on how to deal with suffering and affliction with God is this. Look at your present, Christian. Look at your present. Verses 1 through 3, the first section. Verse 1 says this. God is our refuge. You see there? It doesn't say that God was our refuge. We've been even though that is true, or God will be our refuge, even though that is true as well. But the emphasis is in the present. God is our present. Help. Our refuge. And then he says that he is our refuge in the sense that he is our shelter, our protection. So you are in the storm, you at war, you have to find any place to protect yourself a shelter and then you go there that's the meaning of refuge god is our refuge when there is trouble it says also that he is our strength in the present he is a source of strength when especially we are weak and we know that and when we put both things together refuge in strength we can have the image of a fortress that is strong to face and to protect ourselves from the enemy but also it says not only that he is our refuge in our strength when we are weak but he is our help and that's a very important word here because sometimes we think that god is our help It's just someone who can give us a hand. Yes, we can do it by ourselves. We can solve the problem. But he will give us a little help, a little push. But that's not what the word means here. The word help here means this, to provide something that you cannot do for yourself. That's the language of the title given to the woman when Adam saw Eve the first time, she was going to be a helper in the sense that she was going to do something that he cannot do by himself. For example, have kids. He needs her in many other things. That's the same language that you find in First Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, after Israel was going to lose. To the uh, enemies, Philistines, God came and gave them the victory, and they, Samuel put the name of a stone so that they can remember, and the name of the stone was Ebenezer, the stone of help. The Lord helped us. and the sense of being God being our deliverer, our redeemer our salvation, not merely to give a hand for a problem. He saved when we could not save ourselves or do anything. He did everything. That's the sense of help here. But what kind of problem is that? That God is our help. It says there, He is the very present help in our trouble, very present help in trouble. And the sense here of the word trouble, and I think the historical context help us here probably, is that a sense of confinement. It's a risk of life. that You are surrounded by enemies and you're trying to escape, to find a way out. And you cannot find any door, any channel, or anything to escape from that situation. And what happens? Distress, anxiety come into your heart. It's like a siege of enemies. And in probably the historical context of this psalm is the siege of Sennacheribi around Jerusalem in the 701 B.C. The king of Assyria. It was told that all 45 cities of Judah had already been besieged. We find that in Isaiah 36. And Assyria even mocks Judah, saying that uh, the Assyrians would lend 2,000 horses to Judah, and Judah would not have a chance against them, even with them landing 2,000 horses. They were mocking them. And in 2 Kings 18 and 19, and Isaiah 36 and 37, it says that 185,000 soldiers besieged Jerusalem at that moment. Can you picture it? Probably that's the Um, historical context of Psalm 46. But what kind of trouble is this, specifically? As you'll find here in Psalm 46. It it is described in verses 2 and 3. Listen, 2 and 3, it describes the trouble. There is we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters war and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. <laughs> Do you see the description there of the trouble? It is not describing a local, local tsunami. It's not describing that, a local tsunami. It's not describing a disaster in a family. Or a car accident, or accident that our many members of the family died. It's not describing that. It's not describing an epidemic of a virus, a pandemic. It's not describing that either. I think what we, what we have here is something worse. He is describing a worst case scenario. He's describing a decreation of the whole planet. As in verse 2 says, the planet is being unmade. It is total chaos, universal and cosmic calamity. It's a worldwide catastrophe where the most, the mountains, The most secure things in the world are shaken. Can you see it? Can you picture it? The whole world are trembling. It's trembling. And here's the principle behind everything in verse 2. Even if the entire globe is disintegrating, before our own eyes. Even if the world is falling apart, it says there, we will not fear. Even if everything gets from bad to worse, a total chaos, here's the truth. God Not was, God not will be, God is. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in our ending world. That is why we will not fear. That's the inference. That's the conclusion. That's his syllogism. If God is with us right now, At this present moment, even if the world is falling apart because he's with us right here, right now, fear will go away if I have that in my mind, truly in my heart. And I want to give you some applications. in the first point. First application. Be realistic. You know? Things can get worse. You see, he says, even though, though the world is falling apart. And sometimes when we are in a situation so bad for us to cope with the problem, We have the tendency, and it's not wrong, but we have the tendency to think and to reason and to comfort others saying, It'll be okay. It's bad right now, but it'll be okay. It'll be fine. There will be no problem in the near future. And sometimes that's not what happens. Sometimes we are try to self-deceive ourselves when we have a cancer, for example. We go to the Internet, try to find explanations for the problem, and we try to comfort, our, comfort ourselves with something that sometimes is not realistic. And when we are not prepared, when we are not realistic, and the arrows of suffering will come even worse and when it gets closer, we try to find anything to hold and to protect ourselves, and it's too late. No, the text is, even though it gets worse, even though it's from bad to worse, even though it is going to be really, really bad, you have to be realistic. It's just like, it reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 12. When Jeremiah was going through a hard hardship and God said to him, Do you think it's hard for you to run against men, Jeremiah? What if I put you run against horses? It is hard for you to deal with the people in the nation? What if members of your own family are against you? No, the text says, yes, things can get worse. And we need, even though that situation comes, we need to be realistic and prepared for it. Second application. When things get really bad, what is our reasoning many times? Our reason is that God is far away, right? Where is God? Where is God when everything is just like terrible? He's far away. He's gone. But this morning, today, you, Christian, need to reason differently based on this text. When things get from bad to worse, does that do not mean that God is far away? We think that He is with us when everything is well, right? Where everything is so good with our jobs, with our families, with our health, with our financial uh, things, everything is well. Then God is with me. But that's not what the text says. Even if everything is from bad to worse, see, He is in the present. God is a very present help in that moment in the present right now God is present not only when everything is well but also when everything is from bad to worse he is very present help in trouble not out of trouble without trouble but in trouble do you see in the text A third application on this first point. And don't think about anybody else. Think about yourself, your own heart. When everything is so bad, what is your refuge? Hmm? In troubles, what is your shelter? Where do you go to? Do you try to find comfort without God in this world? Do you find refuge in your work? Nothing won't work. That's many times what we do, right? Where do you try f- refuge? Is it with money? Will give security? It's knowing that you have that amount of money in your bank account, you'll be fine no matter what? Was there entertainment? Was it social media? Was it sex, pornography? You have a hard time during the week, and all the ways for you to have a a bit of relax, of our terrible boss. You have you need to have a little bit of pornography. Was it shopping? Like I had experience in my own ministry, a lady said to her husband, Don't, don't take me to this psychologist. Just give me money or a chance to go to the mall and to buy stuff, and the anxiety will go away. Was it loneliness to go to a dark room, you don't see anybody, you just want to be? Alone, you yourself in the dark room? Or is it food? Would food kill your anxiety? Go to the fridge? Have some food? Sugar? Or is it alcohol drugs? or drugs? Was it beauty? Was it romance? Love. Oh, if I have that guy, if I have that woman then everything will be, will be okay. Even though my family is falling apart, my parents are divorcing, if I have that person, I'm all right. Or is that intellectualism? Or is that children, pills? Or you have tried many refuge. You have tried so many shelters and places to hide yourself from your problems. And right now, you have tried everything and nothing worked. Nothing worked. There's no refuge for you anymore. And you're about to take your own life. Because there's no remedy. There's no nothing. There's anything that can help you right now. No. This morning is for you to listen. This morning is for you to God saying to you, today God's call you saying, I am the one who is a very present help you in your trouble. Come with me. Come. Have to find shelter in me. It is with me that you have strength in your weakness. It's only I, it is only I can help you, no one else. If that is your situation right now, it says, Come. If there will be your situation in the future, you say, Come. But there's one more application this first point. I think that's where we find freedom from our anxieties when everything is from bad to worse, you know? Yes, I truly believe that. Freedom from anxiety when everything is from bad to worse? Yes. You see, he says there in verse 2, we will not fear though everything is from bad to worse. Anxiety is a type of fear, right? And I learned this lesson from a missionary that you probably know, Elizabeth Elliot. She went to South America with her husband. She lost her husband because her husband, Jim Elliot, was preaching to the tribes of Indians and they killed him and his friends. And then based on her own story, she wrote a fictional novel novel called No Graven Image that talks about a lady, a nurse from here, America, who was so excited to bring the gospel to the nations and she wanted to bring the gospel to the tribes in Ecuador. And she organized her life so well. She planned everything and she went there. But to tell the story in a short way. She could not reach them because she needed first to translate the Bible and she could not find anyone to do that. But finally she found Pedro, a guy who could translate the Bible to the Indians. And she was so excited and, and very motivated to bring the gospel there with the Bible and with the gospel. But Pedro caught her Peter caught his leg and got infected. And as a nurse, she gave him an antibiotics. And she didn't know he was allergic to it. And he began to die. And then she cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord, do not let him die. Do not let him die. It doesn't make any sense to get to this point, to be a dead end. Don't let him die, please. Heal him. Please make him well. Please don't let him die. And then at the end of the novel, Pedro, Pedro dies. And people who read the novel said, a God like that would never exist to do such a thing? What God is that? And then right at the end of the novel, I found a phrase that Elizabeth Elliot wrote about that character that nurse, that I think it's life-changing. When things get from bad to worse, is where we find freedom. Freedom from ourselves. She says this, If God was merely my assistant, if God was merely my assistant, He had betrayed me. If, on the other hand, He was God, He had freed me. Do you see what she's saying? She's saying that we, you and I, we have graven image in our hearts. That we live our lives saying that we love God, that we worship God, that we believe that God is sovereign. But in daily life, that is not true. That we treat God just as an assistant, as a mere counsel that has to do everything that we want, that we plan, that we thought about. with our goals. And then when everything is falling apart, when everything falls apart, then we know that we are not not the ones who are in charge. The one who is in charge is God, no matter what. And that freed me from myself and put all the trust in the one who truly governs the universe and I can trust Him and depend on Him and have Him as my refuge and strength. What a truth. Where everything is falling apart is where God makes us to believe that He is true, truly not our mere assistant, but truly God. Or as Gordon Dan Boone once said, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Let me say that again. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. So this morning is for you to suffer with God. How? Look at your present. He is a very present help in your trouble. Now was, now will be, he is right now. Secondly, look back at your past. Look back at your past. Verses 4 and 7. And I think this is a so beautiful psalm. Isn't it the Bible, beautiful literature that we've been seeing this past uh, Sundays? It is an awesome book. It is an awesome literature. You see, everything is in turmoil. You see, in verses 1 through 3, everything is shaken and in turmoil. And now, you see the contrast. There is a revel so calm in the city of God. Mountains and sea and the earth are shaken, but the seed of God is unshakable. Tumultuals and raging sea, in verses 1 through 3, but a calm river of Zion makes the city of God not anxious, not fearful, but glad. Do you see the contrast there? But glad, joy, peace, and provision, and tranquility, where God is present. But it says that there's a river in contrast with the oceans shaking, right? A river? In Jerusalem? How is that a river there? How come? Well, there was a man-made spring of water to fill the pool of Shiloh so that they would have supply of water at all times. And when the city was being besieged, where probably was, with the Syrians there. But I think verse 4, and I'll pay attention to this because I'm telling you to look back at your past. At verse 4, I think this river, there's a reason, is evoking the Garden of Eden in creation that had a river of which the temple here was a prototype or a replica of the presence of God. That's what the psalmists are doing here. They are trying to make you think at the beginning without sin, without trouble, without sorrow, without any evil where God lived there and there was so many rivers that went through. And probably if you have time, we would show that the river is a symbol in Ezekiel and also there in, in, in Revelation of the Holy Spirit. In the presence of god so they are making them to remember the past remember where there was a temple garden with adam and eve without sin and there was a river there and god was present with them perfectly without sorrow or trouble but there's more in verse 5 it says this in verse 5 God is in the midst of her; she shall not be moved. God will help her. You see the verse, the, the verb "help" is again; it's a repetition of verse one. He's our help, and again, it's applying here. He is our helper when morning dawns. Do you know when God will help her? It says specifically there: right early when morning dawns, or at the turning of the morning and it's again for them to remember the past. What past? Creation, right? Again. At the turning of the morning when everything was dark, God says, let it be light, and it was light. Darkness, light. (laughs) But also there's something specific here in the text for them to remember. Which is salvation. There was another siege. There was a mountain on the left, mountains on the right, behind them, an army of the Egyptians, and in front of them, the Red Sea. No way out. A refinement, a siege. There is no escape. But then, and then you, if you go home, you can see in Exodus chapter 14, verse 27, at the turning, that's the same expression that you find here in Psalm 46, at the turning of the morning, as, as when the morning dawns, at that moment, God opened up the sea. They passed through dry land, and then when the Egyptians tried to pass, boom, God killed all of them at once. At the turning of the morning, When light came, God saved them from the siege. They are remembering. God is reminding them about the past of their their redemption. But there's more. Verse 6 does the same thing. Because it says, His voice melts the earth. You see there? The nations rage just like the the sea and the ocean in verse 3, 2 and 3. It's a reference to the nations now. The nations rage. The kingdom totter. He uttered His voice. And then the earth melts. Again, you see the song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, verse 15, when it says the same expression, that God melts the Canaanites. That's the same thing. He's making them to remember redemption. Remember what God did with you when God was with you in the clouds. When God was with you with the angel when open up the sea. Remember the past. Look back at your past. You see that God is with you. That's why in verse 7... He repeats the same truth. The the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The covenant God, the God of Jacob, the God who made a pact, a covenant with you, will never abandon you. Remember your past. And that's what we should do as well, right? Remember your past, Christian. You know, that's why I what we are prone to do many times, isn't it? That's what I do. When I'm going through so terrible situation and a hardship and problems in my life, we have the tendency to remember our past. Oh, it was so good when I was a kid, climbing up trees, picking up fruits, with no problems, oh, it's so good. We have the tendency to cope with the problem, to cope with the affliction, with the grief, we remember our past when there was no problem or any, any difficulty. It was so good, isn't it? But I want you this morning to think and to look back at your past. Now of your 30 years ago, now of 20 years ago, now of 5 years ago, now of 70 years ago. You need to look back at your past of two. 1,000 years ago. And to apply that truth of 2,000 years ago of your past redemption and apply to your present just like the psalmists are teaching us here in Psalm 46. Apply the truth of the past of the gospel into your present. Can you do it? If you can't do it, let me help you with a guy called Greg Lucas. Let me put some flesh in these bones here. Greg Lucas, he had a son. He has a son with special needs. He was born with special needs. And I want you to listen. It's a bit lengthy, but pay attention how, with his daily difficulties, how he applies the past of the gospel to his present situation and how we should do the same. How the promises and the, the truth of the gospel should be applied in our daily lives. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. Listen, the title of the, the article is, I love you no matter what. Almost daily I have to physically restrain my son It is a physical battle to change his diaper and clean his body. Many times while cleaning and changing him, I have been kicked in the face, bitten, smacked, clawed, or hit with a flying object. It is not all that uncommon to come away from a cleanup with a bloody lip or a new scratch. Jake is the size of a small man now and strong on the most full-sized man. It takes at least two people to bathe him. I must confess that on many mornings I leave Jake's room dejected, hurt, and emotionally drained. And many nights I find myself retraining the violent resistance of a struggling boy by wrapping him him in my arms against his will and gently whispering, I love you, I love you, I love you, no matter what. (laughs) Most children are relational and have the ability to reciprocate affection. But what happens when the child cannot communicate love? How does the relationship between parent and child grow and thrive when the child is not relational? What bonds parents and child together when the child does not share in the affection? How do you care for someone that resists your care with violence and opposes, you, opposes your very presence even when your presence is for his good? Tell me, how do you deal with this problem for the rest of your life? How do you deal with kind of affliction? With your past. Now listen to Greg Lucas. And let's do the same with our difficulties and problems He says this. The only possible way to make any sense of this kind of relationship is to experience it through the truly really unconditional love of God the Father. As I reflect on my seemingly one-sided relationship with my son, I am forced to see how it is sometimes a portrait of my own relationship with God. In the defiance of my Son to be loved, cared for, and washed clean, I am shown a portrait of the cross. The one silent violence of love revealed a blurred vision of, of my own redemption as a bloody, beaten, crucified Savior, wraps me in his, in his arms, subdues me with His affections, and whispers in my ear, I love you, I love you, I love you. No matter what. And in this morning, beloved Christian, God not only whispers in your ear, but he gave you a sound, a huge voice in your ear saying, I love you, Christian. I love you, beloved Christian. No matter what, because I didn't spare my only son on that cross for you. Look what I did for you. I love you with eternal love. No matter what happens with you right now, I proved that love 2,000 years ago for not sparing my only son for you. What else do we need? Look back at your past and apply the truth of the gospel to your present. Third and lastly, look to your future. Verses 8 through 11. Look to your future. Yes. You see how beautiful it is? Now, we were in the past. Now you go and enter into the delarion, the, the, the time machine, and go to the future. That's what he's asking us. Yes, in verse 8, he says, come. He's calling on all of us. Come, behold the works of the Lord. The word here, behold, is not a common word for common people. This verb, behold or see, in Hebrew was usually used for prophets. For prophets, he's saying, come, let us see as a prophet a vision of the future. It's a prophetic vision, as a scatological vision in verse 8. How he has brought desolation on the earth. Even though it's in the past here, in the past tense, the language is for us to understand in the context demands this, that it is a past of the uh, certain future. That The future is certain. Just like you see in Romans chapter, in chapter 8, that our glorification is in the past because it's certain. You see the same thing here. And then you see in verse 9, it says, He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He is in the future. He will bring bring Sabbath to the ends of the earth. That's future. That's something that will happen. He He will make war cease to the end of the earth and all evil and all injustice. And then he says in verse 10, Be still. And many times we apply this to be Calm. and It is true as well. You see this, the same thing? At the beginning everything is in turmoil and here at the end in verse 10, be still. Be still not only you but the enemies as well. Cease all the struggle and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God because I will end all disgrace. I will end all evil and all war, All the instruments of war, the chariots, the bow the spear i will break them i will burn them i will destroy every evil all or i will defeat all enemies there will be no pain no tears no suffering in the future be still and know that i am god be still and you will know there will be complete victory in the future you will know that i am god that i will be exalted among the nations i'll be exalted in the earth he said, there will be no King Sennacheribi, no president, no emperor, no leader. In the future, everyone will know I am the one who is God. I am the one who is king. I am the one who will be exalted. Therefore, enemies and Christians, be still. Look to the future. Look to your future. Look to the amazing future that we have. And you see right here, you see the application, the amazing application you see in the Psalm, right? The unique Christian view of suffering, different to any view of atheist, atheistic worldview. It's very unique Christian view of suffering. Because on one hand, we must be realistic that things may get from bad to worse, right? We saw that. Yes, we are realistic. But on the other hand, we have the God given right. The God-given right to be romantics. To be romantics at the same time. Why? Because in the future, God will end all evil and all suffering and all war and all disgrace. But Christian, here's the problem. The problem is that we think that we will live in this world forever. Our hearts is fixed in this falling world. But here you see the future having significance for now. New heavens and new earth are real. It must be re- relevant for now. The future must make a difference now in the present, you see? Look to the future and let it make a difference now. Then you say to me, I can't think of any purpose in this suffering. What is the purpose in this, my suffering? Everything is falling apart. What is the purpose of this? Then let me give you one. Let me give you one purpose for any problem or any trouble that you are going through. For you, Christian, there is one specific purpose in this text that I think is amazing. It is a missionary purpose. You see in verse 10, God will be known and exalted among the nations. All the problems and all the difficulties and all the hardship has a specific, a specific purpose and goal that God will be exalted among the nations. And it is a specific, especially when we go through suffering, we have the opportunity and a privilege to show the world and everything around us that we love Christ more than anything else in this world, that the future has relevance for this present, and I can support any troubles so that people can see Christ in me. Oh, I remember women in my own church back in my homeland with so much trouble and suffering And problems with so much pain. And I ask, How can I do how can they endure that so much pain? And they answer me, because of my God who promised me that in my future there will be no pain, no tears, no more suffering. What a testimony. Your suffering, Christian, your suffering has missionary purpose. What else do you want? What kind of other purpose do you want? That's sufficient. As I remember a little girl, a little girl of eight or seven and eight years old. She was born with spine bifida, you know? Spine is dividing in the two when she was born. And she could not, and she cannot walk for the rest of her life. She has to walk with crutches and wheelchair for the rest of her life. But one of the things that uh, she excited the most is to see ballerine dancing. To see ballerine dancing. And one day, her pastor gave her a ticket to go to to see the ballerine dancing. One of the best ones. And she was so excited in the car. So excited with her brother Levi. And she said, I'm going to see the violin dancing, Levi. Can you believe it? Isn't it this amazing? I'm going to catch to see them dancing. But you know what, Levi? What is most more amazing? What is more amazing is Jesus is more amazing. Jesus is more amazing. Because one day, one day he will be back. He will come back to me and He will heal my legs. And the first thing that I'm going to do to Him is dance to Jesus. Can you believe that? A girl, a little girl of eight and nine years old has the ability to apply the truth of the future of the gospel to her present reality that she will suffer for the rest of her life here. But many of us Many of us have neglected such a powerful resource that God has provided for us in the gospel. The problem is that our future hope is not real to us. The problem is not that future is not palpable for us many times. It's not even in our radar of our lives. No, no beloved Christian. In order for you to grow in sanctification in your suffering, you must remember the gospel of the past, the gospel for the present, and the gospel, the promise of the future. That's what you find here in Psalm 46. That's what you need to remember today, tomorrow, and the rest of your week. Remember the gospel of the past, the gospel that you have now, God with you, Emmanuel, and the promises of the future that you have in Jesus Christ. then psalm ends in verse 11 with the same truth the Lord of hosts is with us the God of Jacob the God of the covenant is our fortress let me end with this conclusion asking you this couple of questions and then you can go home how do you sing this verse This verse 11, verse 7. That the Lord of hosts is with us. Can you sing it? Huh? How can you sing this psalm and know that God is with you when everything in your life is falling apart? How can you sing it truly? How can you sing that in your life is a hurricane of disasters? How can you truly sing this? I think there is one best answer and I'm going to answer with another question. And it's a preparation for you for this evening. Because this question will answer for another question that was asked 2,000 years ago. Someone in deep, deep, deep agony asked, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, why are you not my refuge right now? Why the Lord of hosts is not with me right now? I don't feel it. He is, but I don't feel it. My family, my friends, my disciples abandoned me, and even my God is silent right now. Why am I suffering hell on this cross? He is the answer so that God could look into your eyes, beloved Christian, and say, I did not spare my own son, that I would be with you forevermore. That's the assurance. It's not a subjective only feeling in your heart that God is with you. You have an objective reality outside of you, outside of your heart, knowing that your God became a man, and on that cross he felt the forsakenness for of God so that you and I will believe in his promise of the gospel that he will never, ever, never abandon you and forsake you no matter what happens in your life. For this reason, we can sing this psalm with all conviction and with all certainty that even, even if things get bad, from bad to worse, even if everything is lost, the family and pleasure and goods are gone. Like Luther wrote, His mighty fortress is our God based on this psalm. Even if everything is falling apart, God is with us in Emmanuel. You know why? Because the circumstances are not my ultimate authority. They are not the ones that tell me if my God is with me or not. They are not my ultimate authority. The circumstances are not. My ultimate authority is the Holy Scripture, and more specifically, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who felt the forsakenness of God so that I could be with God for eternity. For this reason, the world may fall apart. I am safe. In Christ refuge and strength Christ is our very present help in our worst trouble in our lives glory be to Christ what an amazing Savior you have if you don't believe in these children if you don't believe these young people anyone here who is not a believer you have to come come there's no other resource come there's no other refuge Come, there is no other shelter. Come, there is no other way for you to escape the hells of this earth, the hells of this life, and the the hells of the future, unless you are safe in the shelter of this amazing God-man who died on that cross for you. So pay your sins and also to have certainty that you will have your God forevermore. Remember your past. Know that God is with you in your present. And take the promises of the future to apply to your daily situation of sorrow and grief. God is our refuge and strength because there's no other gospel like this that you hear every Sunday. Let us pray. Oh Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ, O Lord. Thank you for His life. Thank you that uh, He died for us; He paid our sins, and He gave us the best gift of all. He gave us you. We have you back in your, in our lives. We can now be, in peace. With you. And also, even with the world falling apart. Even when we feel that you are far away, we may be certain that you are not far away. That you are with us. Because of our son. Please, give us your Holy Spirit. Fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit even more so that we may have the sense of this truth and and to have the experience of it even more, even stronger than usual. I pray for those who are suffering right now. Oh Lord, that the gospel may be their fountain, their foundation, their source of help and comfort in such a way that they can praise your name And exalt your name among the nations. Be with this congregation. Be with those families that are are in, in tears right now. Suffering. Be with them. So that this message may be powerful to them. And they, with their lips, sing praises to you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.